This is React Podcast. I'm Chantastic. Henry Zhu opens up about building Babel and the challenges in maintaining communities that maintain open source. He shares what he's learned from other vibrant open source projects and communities throughout history. This episode is sponsored by AWS Amplify and Infinite Red. AWS Amplify is the fastest, easiest way to develop web and mobile apps that scale. I bet you already use AWS for something today. So you already know that AWS has an effectively unlimited combination of services. What you may not know is that they also have tools that compose just the services you need to make modern full stack web development easy. The tool we'll talk about today is Amplify. AWS Amplify takes the power and scale of AWS and tailors it to your needs as a cloud-based web and mobile app developer. Use it to spin up hosting, storage, authentication, managed GraphQL or REST APIs, serverless functions, and more. You can start using AWS Amplify for free with their generous free tier. And as your business scales, you only pay for additional services you use. It's pretty great. Visit awsamplify.info slash react to find a quick tutorial for React developers like us. That's awsamplify.info slash react. Infinite Red is your go-to resource as a React and React native developer. They know these frameworks inside and out. Whether your company is Fortune 500 or fighting Fortune for an open co-working desk, Infinite Red can help you design, build, and ship quality apps. They've been doing it for over 10 years, and listeners of this show absolutely love having them as a friendly expert resource. Infinite Red will give you $750 when you start or refer a new project. Get expert React and React Native help at reactpodcast.infinite.red. Henry Zhu, welcome to React Podcast. Thanks, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> I'm super excited to have you on. It's like, I, I feel like you've been on my list for a really long time and and we just it's been a while i you know i i just haven't made it happen i'm sorry no i mean i think you said you wanted to do it in person at some point and i guess you know that never happened so i was like oh i might as well just say hey we should just do it anyway um <laughs> wait another time for another one that's true i i really do like to do these things in person when possible because they're just so much more personal and i think the energy is a lot better yeah um but yeah you know COVID just kind of like threw us for, for a loop and it's just really, what a bummer. Yeah. What a bummer. It's almost like you got used to it, you know? Like, yeah. You're like, oh yeah, I forgot when we did these things in person. <laughs> so. Also, I think it's probably worth saying for anyone listening right now that today is November 4th. So <laughs> both of us are a little bit stressed out about yeah. all of the election politic things going on. So we might not be like at our absolute best but we're gonna we're gonna do our best to like really rally. Yeah, I was suggesting maybe we should change it, but I was like, I don't know. I feel like it's a good thing maybe <laughs> to just do it anyway. So yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, coronavirus already like bit us, you know, and from doing it in person, like let's not delay it anymore. Yeah. <laughs> so hey, um, before we start, I just for anyone who isn't familiar with you and your work, I just wanted to get you know like a, a sense of like what you're doing these days. Um, I think a lot of people might know, but um might not know like specifically kind of what you're doing day to day. So tell us what you're up to. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, it, it's funny because I like to say that 
I've been working remotely for a while now um, after I quit my job <laughs> at um, Adobe and I've been working on Babel um, and open source full time for yeah, like, I guess over two years now, which is kind of amazing in some sense, right? Whoa. Um, still happening. And uh, it's different from when I started. And I think I'm doing more of what I wanted to do when I did quit. Um, not just necessarily doing open source full time by like writing code every day, um, which is what I was doing when I was um, before I, I left. Um, doing a lot more just general stuff around maintenance and I've been thinking a bit about how we like to say to people that um, open source isn't just about code. We say that a lot, right? And I say that a lot. Um, and it's <laughs> actually really hard to kind of walk your talk in, in, in a weird way. So what I mean by that is that um, I still, because of my experience with you know even work and like having a job is writing code. And to me, it's really easy to measure that, um, even though we, you know, just because you write a bunch of code doesn't mean it's like helpful, right? Um, but you feel good about it at least. Um, and I think it's it can have short-term like benefits. Like you know, you see that you made some commits. But in open source, um, maybe you don't see those those things. Maybe if I'm not writing code, then how do I even know if I'm doing a good job? Who do I even measure that with? Like, there's no one to compare. I, I don't think I can really compare it to anyone really. Um, and so that kind of gets out to you sometimes, right? You're like. Am I doing a good job? Like, who? I mean, if someone else is doing this, what were they gonna do anyway? It's like, <laughs> um, so yeah. I guess I've been. It's a lot more like I don't know meta stuff that I've been doing and also thinking about and trying to kind of balance some like, is this still relevant? And and knowing that inside, I feel like these other non-technical things things are important to our community and this project and everything going on. Um, it's worth still looking into, right? Even if it's not like writing code. Yeah, and this is something that I've always enjoyed talking with you about is, is that I think that you have always enjoyed philosophy and theology and and the intersection of that and code. And it, it, it sounds to me like that, that intersects at community. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious, you know, what does that look like for, for Babel as you're maintaining this, you know, big open source project that's used by literally everybody who writes javascript um what does it look like to, to to really be investing into community as you work through this you know kind of open source experiment together yeah um <laughs> it's a big question because um i think you know there's a sense where i mean even given the just everything going on right like where a lot of us are kind of revisiting what we think community is right at the um, just even like friendship level, family, like being not being able to meet people in person, church, you know, open source, like having conferences online. Um, and so maybe it is a good time to kind of step back and think about, uh, you know, what, what kind of community have we had in the past and how we should think about changing that. Um, and so I haven't had that many like practical things that I necessarily have changed or done. Um, but uh, just kind of looking through like, you know, com communities of the past or different kinds of communities in different industries or, or groups. I mean, that's why I'm, I always kind of turn back to like things that I've experienced or I'm a part of, like, you know, my church community or that kind of thing. Like, how have we tried to handle these things and what are the comparisons and stuff like that? Yeah, and I find that super interesting because I think so many times we, we, we come up against these these new 
um, ways of working together. Mm. You know, like open source is a is an interesting and I feel like novel new way of working together. Yeah, and we tend to just start from scratch, like just you know full like <laughs> new project, um, as opposed to really borrowing from communities of the past. Um, whether those be you know cultural communities, faith communities, you know city communities, and I I love that you've been trying to find the intersection of of those two things. Um, I'm curious, and and I guess we're just gonna go kind of like right into the deep end right away. But like, what are some of the things that you've noticed in your your years of maintaining Babel? Things that maybe you thought were important community ideals to start, but then maybe like faded out as you've been doing this for a while. Hmm. I guess it could be kind of interesting to bring in. Um, so Nadia Akbal, she had her um, new book, right, Working in Public. And one thing to that I think is kind of a general principle to think about is that we tend to like to, I guess, uh, what is it, like, think that everything is all in, like, one boat, right, like, one category. Um, and hmm. so we like to apply these universal rules or, like, you know, principles to, to all projects, right? We and when we say open source, it's such a like big thing. Like you know, Babel is a very different project from a repo I just made, even though we both call them open source. <laughs> um, sure. <laughs> and and so at least for her, she made like a kind of one of those two by twos, where um, there she separates uh, projects into like four different categories. And so one of them is called the stadium, um, and Babel would be one of those. Is where you know there's a few maintainers. But there's a lot of users. You could think of like, a, say, a football stadium where there's like a few people playing and then a bunch of people watching, um, and and the people watching they might contribute, but they might be uh, we we would call them almost like extractive. So it's almost like negative contributions because not because they're contributing code, but they're contributing issues and reports, and so maintainers um, have to manage their attention, how much time they're spending on each of these people. And eventually, when you get to a stadium level, you already know that that's impossible to handle, right? It's not when it's like a little club, like a, a few people and a few users where everyone can help each other. Um, it's gone way beyond the capacity of people to like handle it, right? Yeah, like just by its very definition, it is, out, it is outside of your control. Yeah. And so it's it's good to know, like, if you're thinking about how you want to develop your community, which one of these four are you in? Um, and also, where are you going? Where, which one do you even want? Maybe you don't want to be um, a stadium. And so maybe you, and I think this is a important point to bring up now is like, how should you think about kind of the rules? I don't want to call them rules because it sounds too imposing, but like kind of sure. what are the norms you want in your community? Some hmm. people... Um, like I would, uh, we are looking at uh, SQLite, which had some uh, buzz a while back. But they are open source, but they're not open contribution. Um, and I think hmm. for a lot of us, we just assume that if something is open source, that it it means it's on GitHub, and they have a certain way of doing it that is the same as how we expect it to be. And I think in JavaScript, we are certainly a lot more. I wouldn't use the word inclusive, just like we want more people to get involved, right? Um, and so, and that's just like a certain attitude, and that's fine. But other people don't have that, right? Um, and it's good to see, like, what what are the boundaries that people are putting in their projects? And I think for JavaScript, um, 
sometimes I think that it's almost like heresy to, to say that I want to put some kind of limit on the project in some sense. Hmm. Like I feel bad even wanting to say no to things, right? I feel guilty not answering people's questions. Um, and that's just the culture that we're in. And I'm trying to think about how uh, we can learn to, it doesn't mean like exclude people, but like kind of think about how to, uh, yeah, manage like your time and your efforts and stuff like that. Because I would say that trying, not having any kind of um, limits on things, it just hurts everyone, right? It hurts the people that we're going to get involved and the people that are already working on it. And, um, you know, I can bring up <laughs> Oktoberfest again. Um, maybe that's a good <laughs> example of the idea of not having limits on things, right? We just, right, it's a, it's a good um, attitude to have. We want more people involved in open source, and that's great. But then how are we going to make that happen? And so the idea that, oh, well, everyone just make four PRs, you get a t-shirt, um, try to get the most people possible in, is that really a good idea? And we kind of see how that turned out, right? Yeah. And for anyone who, who wasn't uh, privy to that, you know, happening on Twitter, um, Hacktoberfest is a thing that happens in October and everyone's encouraged to make PRs into open source. Um, this year, it kind of got out of hand. <laughs> um, I think someone was saying to just like kind of add awesome, or, like add a couple adjectives to like read me's and just it just like flooded a bunch of unsuspecting projects with a bunch of, you know, meaningless PRs. And so, I, yeah, I think what you're saying is interesting that there's, there are liberating constraints that you can kind of yeah, impose like on a project that allow you to do more with limited resources, which I, I think you've had to f you figure out in a time as uh, maintaining Babel. Um, I want to keep talking about that, yeah. but I do want to kind of circle back just for a second and um, talk about the other types of um, of uh working in public projects um, that Nadia mentions in her, her book. Yeah, I have to <laughs> look this up again. Um, <laughs> I know one of them is clubs, um, uh, which is like where like the, the amount of it, it's actually the two by two graph is like um, about the number of people maintaining and the number of users, I guess it's like low and high and low and high hmm. um, or also growth. I suppose that might be another way to put it. And so a club is where, you know, there's a small amount of maintainers, but also a small amount of users. Uh, Interesting. And so... And then the stadium is kind of the, you know, a, a small amount of maintainers, but then a disproportionate number of users? Yes. Um, oh, here it is. Okay. Um, so, okay. the t uh, There's a toy, which is low contributors and low users. So that would be kind of like what you described, like, I just put this on NPM, like the, the <laughs> this thing that I just made is on NPM now. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so then a, a club would be a low amount of users and a high amount of contributors. Or you could even say all the users are contributors, right? Um, that seems like the very idealistic version of open source, right? Like, sure. everyone that uses it is able and willing to help um, and it just feels like that fun, like, you know, everyone's helping each other out kind of thing. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then federation is high number of users, high contributors. So that would be when we consider, like, Node or that kind of model. Hmm. I mean, you could also argue that that's a stadium, too. But it depends on how you kind of want to see it. Like, in comparison to Babel, maybe Babel is more of a stadium than Node or something. Sure. There's maybe, like, a nuanced difference, but it... There's a, a difference nonetheless. Yeah, and that's a spectrum. It's not like a you have to be in this category. And the idea of like 
changing between these different categories, and you know, maybe everything starts out as a toy, right? And yeah. then eventually it turns into whatever version. Yeah. Interesting. So as that overlaps to kind of the constraints, what are some of the constraints that you had to adopt um, as maintainers of Babel um, to really get the experience and the outcome that you want for the other contributors and maintainers? Yeah. Um, so th I think that's what I kind of was trying to get at before. Um, and I don't want to like, similar to the Hacktoberfest, I don't think we can really call out individual people um, that they did something wrong or anything. I mean, I, I hesitate to make a comparison to like systematic, you know, issues in our sure. society, but it's kind of the same where it's like that those things that people are doing, it's a result of how we kind of see these things. And so hmm. um, I, I can do a lot of things individually and I should, uh, but the thing that I need to change is like how we think about it culturally. And that's a lot harder. So say I wanted to say that um, maybe, you know, just example, um, like every weekend we just like turn off the repo or something. What if we did that? That'd be, that'd be, <laughs> that seems like out of the question. Yeah. Meaning that we, we disable it and then like you can look at it, but you can't make issues or something. And we just do that every week. Um, and you know, someone might say like, why don't you just not look at it um, on the weekend? And I was like, yeah, I, I should and I will. But I think it's different because <laughs> that's only for myself, right? It's kind of like, it's like telling people don't go on social media on the weekend or something like that. It's like, well, you know, what, <laughs> this would be interesting. What if you can't use Twitter on the weekend or something? You know, like how would that <laughs> affect how, how we see these things? So I'm saying like, not just a balance, but just like how to think about putting in a thing where everyone knows that you're not there or something like that, that you're not available all the time. So the idea is like, well, we know that, you know, that whole, we talk about like trying to have self-control and all these things. Um, I'm going to put my own limits on myself and I'm not trying to put limits on other people, but it's kind of like, sometimes it's good to kind of, well, we, okay. So if I want to bring in a faith analogy, like the Sabbath is supposedly a day when we, you know, take a day to have rest, right? Isn't it amazing? Like God, if, you know, God is all powerful, it's weird Like God would choose to, to not do anything. Um, and it's like, maybe he gave that to us to let us know that maybe we should do that too. Right. We are not all yeah. to put limits on ourselves. Right. Yeah. I find this this concept really interesting in that for so we're living in this. Uh, <laughs> we're getting further and further away from um, physical constraints. And I think we've seen this, you know, in particular, you know, this year with, you know, COVID-19 and everybody working from home and how, you know, part of what's made this difficult is, is that now more people are constantly available yeah. for the first time, right? And that is an ex like you know beyond just the kind of the the emotional toll that this this thing has taken just as it is. Being constantly available for the first time is overwhelming, yeah. and like having to set your own you know artificial constraints and be like, hey, like. I know I'm like nobody's in the office, but like from this time to this time, I'm like not in the office um, is very hard to communicate. And, you know, a lot of people like want to bypass that. And without those like hard physical constraints mm. or geographical constraints in this case, we have to put our, our own boundaries. Mm. And that can be very uh, like a hard transition. Um, how do you communicate about this with the people who are working with you in open source so like you know your 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 club i guess i see oh so within our own team um 
Yeah, it's like funny. I have to keep coming back to like, you know, we're not a company,、um, and so I don't even know if we want to operate like a company. Like, kind of almost like the point of open source is that we're not doing that.、Hmm. Other than the whole like we need to make money, so then maybe we need to act like a business model, all that stuff. But、um, you know, I'm not gonna tell people you have to do this or like. I, I mean, that wouldn't even work, right? The whole point is like they can choose to leave the project if they don't like working with us, right? And I think、yep. the reason why we've been able to, I guess, very slowly retain some people,、um, or at least people enjoy continuing to work on it, is that you know we like to encourage people. When people are like, "Hey, I'm going to take a break," everyone's like, "Yes, that's really good. You should do it." You know, like <laughs> that's awesome. Like I think having a a culture where we do that for each other is is good, and that,、um, and we don't、um, like it's like.、Uh, Creating an environment, yeah, where people feel you know vulnerable or good enough to be able to say those things is, and it's still hard. You know, the worst part is when you know that people are going to be okay with it, and you still can't do it anyway. And so you're just kind of wondering to yourself, like, why, you know, why do I still feel that? You know, it's like, yeah. Now you mentioned a little bit earlier that you're finally kind of finding it a personal balance in. Being able to do work that you like, and I know that this has been a big transition for you, kind of moving to full-time open source, realizing that so much of what you had to do was, you know, in selling the idea of maintenance、mm-hmm. for Babel.、Uh, and so I'm curious what that that transition has looked like for you over the last, you know, year, and what the work that you actually enjoy doing is. <laughs>、um, it's funny because. It's like I guess I haven't found that balance. Then, like, I it, it feels like I have at certain times, but then every once in a while, you're like, "Wait, what am I?" You know, you just have that existential stuff again. Like, what am I doing? Is this <laughs>、yeah. even helpful? I'm sure everyone's felt this in the pandemic. It's like I remember telling some people, you know, like this isn't helping that in particular, like the 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 main issues that we're having. But that doesn't mean that it's not、yeah. useful, right? I think we have to deal with that.、Um, I think at first. I mean, initially, you know, I, I did something that I wouldn't recommend people do, which is literally just quit without like a <laughs> not a backup plan, but like, you know, normally you would wait till like your funding per month is like enough to satisfy like your standard、sure. of living.、Um, but I just decided to go for it, and the reason why I did this was because I felt like it was like kind of a push for like knowing that that was you know you take a leap of faith essentially,、um, and that would. Help me to think about how I want to do things or, or whatever, and、uh, and I would also say that in the back of my mind I was like, well, I could probably just get a job. I'm a, hopefully, I don't want to be too like that's guaranteed or anything, but like that's not a bad like that's not like it doesn't seem like a risk at all at that point, you know? Like if you if you、sure. put it in that sense,、um, so I might as well get a shot. I might as well do it when I'm earlier than later.、Um, And so there was a lot of time where I basically spent. I went to a bunch of conferences, right, and then through that I tried to like reach out to people and talk to them and try to see if they would want to donate. And I'm not like, I think people would know this. I'm not someone that is good at like sales or has any background in that or anything. I'm just an engineer.、Um, I, I don't honestly. It's like I don't know why people are, are donating, other than, you know, you could have. Said that well, anyone could have did it because Babel is already so important. If some other person did it, maybe they would have raised so much money too.、Uh, you don't know. Like, there's hard. It's hard to say. Sure. Yeah. And and I enjoy particularly enjoy doing that kind of thing. But、um, I mean, at least back then in the beginning, it was 
necessary. So I did it. And then now it's like, well, I still need to do it because I would love to be able to, you know, help support our other contributors more, way more than they are now. Um, but it's like, and I was talking with、um, Brian, one of our contributors, of like, should I feel guilty that I'm not spending all my time doing fundraising?、Um, and like, it's not my job necessarily to do it, but I don't want to do it out of obligation, but I, like, I want to help people. So it's like, let's do that. And that, yeah, right. It's a balance. And I don't, yeah, I think, <laughs> I think a lot of us,、um, in, even now, we think about like, what do we actually want to do? And sometimes when we, we get that, We don't really know. Like,、um, although I would say that you know, like, removing commute time means that you feel like you have to work more, you also sometimes feel like you have a lot more free time, maybe, if you're not an essential、mm. worker. And so, in that time, you're like, people get bored and, and they're like, well, I got all this time. And then you, know, like, you watch a bunch of TV or whatever it is. And, and at the end, you're like, wait, like, what do I really want to do <laughs> with this time? It is interesting, the, like, just the, the, Difference in expectations that people have. Because I think so many people think, oh man, what a dream <laughs> to be able to like just work on open source all the time, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, as we've covered, like so much, you work under a tremendous amount of、um, constraints, right? And so many people have so many expectations uh, uh, of this,、uh, you know, of Babel in particular. And,、um, So much of what you're doing is not the things that maybe engineers think that they'll, they'll be doing when they maintain a huge open source project, right? It's, it's a lot of kind of advocacy. It's a lot of, you know, selling to, you know, make sure that, you know, the, the project's funded.、Um, and then a huge amount of issue management, I suppose.、Um, yeah. I mean, it's, it's all those things. And, and I think, you know, You can choose to do whatever you want. You know, you don't necessarily have to do any of those things.、Um, so, I mean, I, I know there's plenty of people that are doing open source, whether part time, full time, or for fun. They only care about the technical side, and that's great. We, we need people to do that. <laughs> I, I guess I'm kind of just emphasizing that matters a lot, but、um, this other stuff matters too. And I guess I want to walk my own talk of like, I'm trying to like tell myself this other stuff matters. And, like, I guess the whole thing of like doing it will help me feel like it still matters, even though in my mind I think it does, right? That's, yeah. And it's really interesting because I, I, I think a lot of people don't anticipate how, it, how that changes.、Mm. I guess maybe the, the moment that you actually like take that you know, leap of faith, as you, as you said, to jump into open source and you know, make it your full time gig, how your perception changes. Yeah. And, And how important it is to really honor the community that's making, you know, making this possible.、Mm-hmm. I want to get to, like, I want to kind of dovetail that into something that you said、um, at, a, at a talk in 2018 at、uh, React Rally. I can't remember the name of the talk. Do you remember? Looking gla- something through the looking glass? Oh, through the open source looking glass or something like that. Yeah. Okay. We'll link it no matter what.、Um, but you, you, Mentioned a quote by Larry Wall, which I think a lot of people are familiar with the, the first notion that he presents, which is, you know, the virtues of a programmer are laziness, impatience, and hubris.、Um, but then you continued it with a part that I've never heard before until you mentioned it, which was the virtues of a community sound like they're opposite diligence, patience, and humility. 
And I find that really interesting because you, you'd mentioned going into this project, you know, as an engineer, like you and identify as an engineer and th thinking about the work like that and kind of valuing that as the work that you enjoy doing. But building up a com community and maintaining a community requires like a totally different set of skills, which we've, we've touched on a little bit. Uh, I'm curious what that looks like in practice and how you've built those up in yourself and in your your team over the last year or so mm. um i i have a hard time fe feeling that i'm like doing a good job of doing any of this um but um i mean i guess the humility part is like i feel like the only reason why i'm still doing it is because um knowing that i'm not an expert in any of it, right? And, and but still wanting to make it happen. And I know that intention doesn't lead to results or anything either. Um, but I guess I, I felt like it was worth doing. And also, you know, a big reason why I, I mean, I even decided to quit was I, I felt like th those aspects of open source would be um, better for me to explore on my own, not tied to a company, whether it's, you know, Adobe or anyone else. Um, because ultimately they're going to want you to, you know, write code or make money for them or something. And not that we aren't making money or we, I mean, we all need to make money, but um, it's, uh, yeah, like you said, it, like when you're, the perspective that you have when you're a certain position uh, is different. And I felt like it was worth being in that position um, to hmm. explore this. Um, so I was thinking like, there are, it's, it's, it's so fascinating. There, there are thoughts and actions that I would never take if I stayed at Adobe or I, or I stayed at a company doing it full time. Like say even like at this point, some company offered me like, you know, work on Babel full time. I mean, I might even have to think about it. <laughs> like, do I really want to do that? Um, because that, that will, I mean, that changes how you're going to see open source. That's how you're going to, how you're going to do things. Um, so I felt like, yeah, doing it, just differently with with, and I don't have like a, um, all right, knowing that that's gonna lead to something positive. It's just like this hope. Sure. Um, and I think that's the risk that you have to take of an uncertainty. And I'm, I'm I was okay with that when I decided to try. And um, yeah, the day to day is not necessarily always fun. <laughs> um, and there are times where I'm like, yeah, this is like so much. Just like, I don't know, mental burden, it, it would be easier yeah. just to go back and just get a job and, and maybe even just stop doing open source entirely. And it's like, <laughs> I don't, uh, and it's true, like, it feels like whenever you're in something for a while, it, it just feels like there's this tug to become more and more jaded. And I don't want to, I don't mm. want to be like that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I totally agree with you. And I, I, I'm curious, like, in a very practical way, you know, if you imagined yourself, you know, taking on a job at a company where you're working on on Babel, in the practicals, like how do you feel like that would change the way that you think about the project? And I guess conversely, how to how does how what are the values that you see as present in the way that you're doing it now? Mm, practically speaking, I mean, the feeling that I had when so I was working on Babel half time when I was at Adobe, and I'd like to say that like my team was amazing and like. Just like they were encouraging, even when I was doing that. But the problem is that no matter how good their intentions were, and just like our relationship, like 
the things that they think about, the things that they talk about, the environment is about other work. And that makes sense, <laughs> of course, right? Why would it be about what I'm working on? And so that kind of split, the 50-50 split that I had was just like kind of nagging me in the back of my mind. And I, and I couldn't get over that. And it was sort of like, I was talking about my boss. I was like, maybe I should just, either I just do it full time or I just stop. Because that was, that was worse to me than even doing it half time, even though in theory, it felt like that was amazing, right? And, like, um, and so I guess it's just like, I think a lot about like environment and context, um, those things aren't there. And that's, I think that's ultimately what supports a community, like all these other things around it, like hmm. from, a, you know, on paper or explicitly, everything seems like it would work out. But um, at least how I felt about it was uh, it would be hard to kind of, I, I, maybe another thing is like, um, you know, this idea of we like to compartmentalize things. Yeah. Um, and, and I think, and I have a desire to want to integrate everything instead. At least at, now I do. Um, you know, whether it's like open source and work, or even in my case, like faith and work or something. Um, I, I can't, I don't see how I can separate them. And I don't want to. Um, that's where the conflict is, I guess. Yeah, it's really interesting because I think this is something that so many people, you know, who want to have more agency over their life and decisions. Um, have a really hard time. And, you know, I I think there's a lot of, you know, I don't know, gurus or like inspirational people who will tell you like, oh, yeah, just do it. Like, it'll work out. Like, you got to like believe in yourself and whatnot. But like, the truth is, like, it doesn't always work out. And, you know, it is kind of hard to know when to make that switch, you know, and, you know, it's exceedingly hard to like, you know, work a job with all of this, as you said, context and communication wrapped up in that and then have any energy left for the things that you actually believe and want to see and want to see more deeply integrated um, into your life. And I mean, I applaud you for making the jump, but it is, I mean, it it hasn't, it it sounds like been like all that you had hoped that it could possibly be at this point. Yeah. Um, And and I I think I, I need to look back also and like, remember that, where I'm at is, um, there's a lot of benefits to it. And I, maybe I'm I'm underplaying them because I don't want to make it sound like it's so rosy, but I also don't want to be like, it's, it's not, it doesn't like suck because otherwise I would just get a job, right? Sure. (laughs) Um, and you know, I, I think that's kind of this cost of freedom in some sense, right? Mm. Whatever this kind of freedom is, it's like, you know, I don't have a boss telling me what to do. And, you know, sometimes you want someone to tell you what to do. We we like to, um, I think this is a symptom of a modern age is like we like to outsource our, I don't know, I guess desires in some sense to others or algorithms in some sense, right? It's like we now... Yeah, or like our agency maybe? Yeah, agency. Exactly. Yeah, we think that like it's so hard for us to make personal judgments anymore. Um, I don't know why. That, that's like so weird. That's like a part of being human, you know? Um, I defer my decisions to, you know, Google or Netflix or Amazon or whatever. Um, and, you know, not that we've, I don't want to pretend that we've had control over our decisions in terms of like, oh, of course, everything influences us. But in, t- sure. in this case, it feels even more so like you have less and less agency um, because of, you know, what, various things. That is interesting. I, I've not heard it put um, quite that way, like the idea of of 
going into going into this stage of your life where you're making open source happen, kind of working independently, but you know, with people chasing integration. <laughs> I think that's like a really interesting way to way to think about it. Um, and th- that at the end of the day was more valuable for you than the security or a kind of the, the split mind, even though it provided you both security and the opportunity <laughs> to do the open source that you're doing. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'd like to hope that that was a principle that I adhere to, but you know, we're all hypocritical people. So <laughs> <laughs> amen to that. Yeah. <laughs> I want to talk, uh, shift gears a little bit and, and, and talk about, uh, what you're doing with your podcast, Hope and Source. I find it to be such, I mean, First of all, I think it's a brilliant name, so we're going to go with that. But uh, I find it really an interesting podcast because it does represent you struggling to find like what those points of integration are and trying to decide against those things that are not integrated. Um, could you tell me a little bit about the podcast and kind of like how you see it as a high level? Yeah. Um, well, I guess just to talk about how it started. Um, so I mentioned Nadia in her book. Um, so I had some conversations with her when she was at GitHub, and I guess she reached out to me because you know I've been talking about open source, and I don't know. I guess naturally I started talking about how I was thinking, and the beginnings of me thinking like, oh, wait, my how I think about faith is not that different from open source, and she thought that was interesting, <laughs> and she, as a you know, I guess atheist, um, thought that was interesting, right? And I, I think that you know, traditionally it's it's hard to talk about you know, faith and I mean, in so many different, for so many different reasons, but um, it was interesting to her. And she even suggested one time, she was like, hey, maybe we should like record these and like share them. I was like, whoa, what the, like, I never thought of doing that. I'd be (laughs) afraid. And she was too, for a different reason of like, she doesn't want to talk. This is funny. Like if you're not a, a religious person and you talk about it, people start thinking that you are. And so, sure. Yeah. 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 It's like a fear, right? You're like, you don't want people to think that. Um, And so we kind of just, recorded a bunch of conversations over like a period of um i mean many months and then i released them all at once like as a surprise because it wasn't something like you want to tease to people it's kind of a weird thing to to do um because you're already i'm not sure if it's going to turn out like with a positive response so we just did that and it seemed like people were like thought it was interesting at least um you know it's just like i think um i was talking with maggie or someone they were saying how like it's it's more of like an anthropology of open source and faith, not necessarily talking about like, oh, you should believe this or whatever. It's just thinking about how they're the same and and kind of pointing that out to people. And I think even just presenting that idea, like putting that in someone's mind, it helped me to think like, oh, there are a lot more things than I thought that are related. And so we, we just went through like, I just pick a word, right? And then see how they relate, you know, whether it's like trust, you know, like, we have to trust people in open source in so many different ways. And we're obviously trusting God in a religious sense or like fundraising with tithing, you know, like donations, um, this idea of like internal and external motivation. Like there's so many areas of um, overlap. I think one of the things that really makes like makes the show work is the fact that she is, does not have a background in faith that Nadia doesn't have a background in faith, because I think that, you know, there's something very magical about that combination mm. of, you know, someone who identifies as a believer, someone who identifies as an atheist, 
talking about how like not religion but like how the like the principles and patterns map over to open source and i just I, like it's it's so captivating to listen to i think because it's so clearly like from the start not a we're going to talk about how open source is religion mm-hmm. <laughs> um but really like bringing those bringing those concepts and those patterns and like kind of seeing like how they have adapted to these to these things and how to like once you identify that how to capture and or like collect their benefits and discard the things that are not working yeah and and i think that um and you can maybe even listen to how we have evolved in how we think about that stuff like through through the episodes themselves because it was it was over the period of like a year almost yeah um and you know at this point like she obviously is moved on to other things and I wouldn't expect her to always want to do this. But I think after a while, I was like, I kind of want to continue it just on my own. Um, and I know that it doesn't have the same dynamic because it would be nice if I found another person <laughs> to do that. <laughs> but I was like, ah, I might as well just like talk to some other people. Like, I guess yeah. our, it was an experiment to see like, do people even think this is worth talking about or hearing about? Yeah. And I think after that passed... I did find people reach out to me and they're like, hey, you know, I thought this was interesting too and we should, and I'd be happy to talk about it. Or I just started, you know, I guess Googling for different things and I'm finding people to to chat with. Um, And, you know, it's, and not every episode has to be about um, faith and not every episode is necessarily about open source. But I think that if you kind of go listen to it, you'll notice that there are a lot of general things that are similar about, about it. Yeah, there's there's one episode um, that you you had recommended that I I listened to specifically, mm-hmm. um, kind of in season one uh, about si- uh, city. I, I can't remember the ep- city as city liturgy. As liturgy. Yeah. yeah, and it was so fascinating. Uh, I thought, like, I, I definitely we will link this absolutely, and I think people should listen to it. I thought it was so fascinating how overlapping your guests' language was. Yes. coming from a religious perspective. Um, using all of the same like technical words that I would to describe some of these things like secondary effects and uh, algorithms. Like it was just, it was totally fascinating to like listen to the, the incredible overlap of these two things. Yeah. Um, and the funniest part was like, like how I found uh, Timothy. Like I, I was, I think, um, so there are a certain group of people in tech that are really into urbanism. Um, you know, cities and how they work, you know, especially if you live in like SF or New York. Um, and so one of the people that people talk about a lot is uh, Jane Jacobs. And she wrote this book called The Life and Death of Great American Cities. Um, and so life and death, and Timothy was saying how like life and death is very similar. It's, it's talking about life cycle. And that is how he interpreted cities as well. Um, and then he even like talked to her about this and she was like wow this liturgy concept is a very is the best like form of interpretation of my own work and so i thought that was like interesting and i literally was just googling like city and like you know liturgy and and, like god and stuff like that and his name came up um and so i just emailed him like you know i have no connection to him at all so i just emailed him say hey you want to chat and he's like okay (laughs) so we did um, and then later I even like visited, um, Boston and I just like, was like, Hey, do you want to like meet up in person and we can chat again? So it's like, 
that that's like an example of like that's what I want. Like I want to be able to like use the internet for that. Like <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. you know, serendipitous just like meetings with people and like really learning from people. Yeah, I love this. And I, I you know, I, I hope that you go listen to the episode because I think that you'll just be riveted by it the way that, that, that I am. One of the things that, that kept coming up as a theme is this notion of, you know, w- without going into like liturgy and whatnot, yeah. but the notion of like cities being like organic, mm. that they are an organic thing that's constantly changing and adapting and that, you know, Jane Jacobs kind of like thesis is is that like city planning kind of ruins cities because it's this top-down type of mechanism instead of like honoring the living thing that is the city. And so I want to ask you like kind of how that informs your work. Like how do you index more for organic open source and babble, whatever you want it to be, your, your work as a human uh, index for the organic elements of that instead of kind of like stamping a city down and like you know mandating that things be a certain way yeah um i guess it does relate back to the humility aspect because if you think about um seeing like the city as you know a bunch of buildings or a place um and this is i don't know i always tend to go more uh general <laughs> I, I don't i think i find that like i don't have a lot of practical yet and i'm still figuring it out but um if you see the city as a bunch of buildings, then also that means you think the people in there don't really matter as much, right? Um, <laughs> and so, not that they don't care about people, but like it, it's easier to think of everything as a bunch of numbers. You know, we talk about this a lot. Like everything's just statistics uh, versus her. She was like, what are the people on the ground feeling? Um, she talks about sidewalk life, which is interesting, right? That's where people <laughs> meet. That's not private. It's not public. It's different. Um, and so in open source, it's the same. It's like, is open source just about the code? We focus so much about like licenses and distribution of code, which is like kind of like um, all of these things are important. They're they're necessary, but they're not sufficient to like what kind of what I think uh, a good open source community can turn into. At the basic level, yeah, we do need licenses, but if we focus so much on that, like what happened to the people working on them? Like, hmm. and, like even when I was starting open source, my question like that finally got me to like get into it was um, realizing that there is someone on the other side working on this thing, and <laughs> it's not a thing that just materialized yeah, the black box idea or something. Yeah, like just <laughs> it just it just yeah exactly. It's sort of like when uh, it's just handed to you, you know, from from up high, and it's like no, there are actual people. They have they're real people. Um, they're working on this thing and then thinking and then all those questions start from that you know like who are they um not to like stalk them but like <laughs> um like how are they sustaining themselves or do they even want to work on this thing anymore there's so many questions that can come up just from asking who is making this and then also realizing i'm depending on them you know uh, at the very least we should support the, the dependencies we have because of insurance, right? It's like, if it doesn't work, then we are going to be in trouble. Um, <laughs> and, and so it's like being intentional about how you'd be, like, or choose to not use it, you know? And then don't complain about it, right? It's like, just, yeah, you can make everything from scratch if you really wanted to, but don't try to, like, depend on it, but also, like, you know, pretend that it doesn't matter or something. I think this is interesting, especially the notion of, you know, buildings and, hu- and the humans inside of them. We do tend to 
think about these things in the the abstract of like Babel. It's just a project yeah. that I npm install for literally everything, and it's you know good to go. Um, and we forget that in fact we are depending on a human or several humans to have written that code for us. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I that's and kind of the beauty of open source is that you don't have to know, right? That you can just use it. <laughs> but then that's also kind of the problem. And I, I I say this a lot, like I don't want people to like, when they think of Babel, they necessarily have to think of me or anyone else because that, that seems too like, um, our other problem is like the whole influencer, whatever, right? It's like, you know, focus too much on not, it's actually not focusing on the person. It's focusing on like a certain picture of that person right hmm. right that's not actually them you know you know like I, I say that when when people find out that i work on Babel, they don't really treat you like i'm a person they treat you like a like this you know, programmer god right <laughs> and so that's what i mean by like what does it really mean to treat someone as a human as a as a as a person that you would talk to about whatever you know um instead of like getting their autograph or not even knowing they exist, right? Those are the two extremes I think of. Um, and so, and I find that um, we, we do this everywhere, this kind of objectification of, of things. Um, I was yeah. reading about, um, so another person I've been reading is called uh, Ivan Illich. Um, and, and he's well known for kind of critiquing institutions, uh, particularly medicine and school. So his uh, book that people, a lot of people know is called De-Schooling Society. Um, and so one way that we have objectified ourselves is, it was interesting, he was talking, I never thought about this before, but like we used to have this theory of something called the humors. It's like how we thought like the insides were. Um, not like funny, but like um, like a different kind of substance, right? Like fire, water, like that stuff. Sure. And and we, now we think that's just like, you know, old, right? No, no one believes that anymore. We think of our organs, but the problem of mm. thinking of everything in terms of organs is that it's very similar to thinking ourselves as machine or like a bunch of parts that are defective, and so we don't treat our own bodies as like human, which is like really interesting, like the way we think about ourselves even um, and that's like one step towards more more and more disembodiment of like you know maybe you know a lot of us want to um, upload our consciousness into a brain you know I mean not a brain uh, like a robot or whatever you know like we don't need body anymore um, and I think this thinking around that is uh, I, I like um, Charles Taylor has this um, word that he uses which is uh, excarnation so and this is uh, as opposed to incarnation, um, you know, and I, re I refer, refer to that because, you know, especially when we talk about like faith, you know, God becoming a person in Christ is, we call it the incarnation, like a spirit becoming flesh. So excarnation would be the opposite of like, we are slowly because of a lot of things um, becoming less and less, like thinking less and less about our, our own bodies. And that has effects on how we, see one another um, and how we act right yeah and it gets back to your point of of chasing integration mm. and you know holism yeah yeah right i i i i heard i think dan abramov mm -hmm. tweeted something about you know to the effect of you know do you believe in you know free will <laughs> um 
<laughs> which is i mean bound to get like everybody like yeah. coming coming to that 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 twitter thread um but i remember paul henschel who we've had on the show before um who's who's a really great thinker um said something about something to the effect of like mind is body hmm. and we forget sometimes that like it's all integrated like we can't ignore just one piece and like have that mean something um or like be fine without that one or like yeah they're separated but that doesn't mean that they aren't integrated and like all required to work together in some way to to keep us healthful and happy and you know working and thinking correctly yeah no i come back to it a lot um learning the background on that it's like it's a very modern view that we can separate the mind and the body you know we we go back to um descartes the mind it's called the mind body dualism right like that there is that Hmm. kind of thing and i and I guess it's like, yeah, I'm trying to push against that. Like I, everything about my background and history and like my education is all in that. And I'm slowly trying to like kind of unlearn that in some sense and seeing how much it's like affected literally everything. Yeah. 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 Well, I really appreciate you continuing to press into that. It's very inspirational to me and it causes me to think, and I hope that a lot of people will kind of continue to, you know, follow your work and uh, listen to it. And um, hopefully be able to, you know, even folks who don't identify as religious um, to, to, to see some of the, how these things can be integrated in a non-religious kind of way, but how the patterns and practices might be able to help them. For anyone who wants to follow you and find you about the internet, how do they do that? Um, I guess I'm on Twitter. I'm not really tweeting that much. Uh, left underscore pad. Um, <laughs> yeah. I've been, uh, I think I've been reading a lot, so I'm just like quoting random books and I'm sure most people are like, what are you even talking about? But it's, uh, it's been, it's been fun. <laughs> yeah. So if you want to do that, there's that. Just chasing that integration, chasing that integration, being true to yourself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then, um, where do they find hope and source and then any writing that you're doing? Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's actually just hopeandsource.com and it's also on like, you know, all the other platforms. And writing, um, I haven't been doing much blogging. So I guess the only writing I'm doing is my newsletter for people that are sponsoring me. So if, but yeah, it's on GitHub basically. Yeah. Awesome. Well, that brings up another question. Uh, You know, if people want to sponsor you directly or uh, kind of devote more to Babbel itself, how can they do that? Yeah. um, Yeah. So there's GitHub sponsors um, and we have an open collective for Babbel. and and then you can also just like reach out to me um my, i think my dm's open if you want to contribute or, or just talk about you know everything that we talked about happy to do that awesome awesome cool we'll get all those things linked for sure uh henry thank you so much for your time today this was super fun to dive into all of these uh topics i appreciate you and i appreciate you taking time to talk with us today thanks michael yeah this is great This has been episode 119 of React Podcast with Chantastic and guest Henry Zhu. A transcript for this episode has been sponsored by me and will be available soon. If you'd like to support the show by ordering a transcript and have your name read into React Podcast, send me a DM on Twitter at Chantastic or at React Podcast. You can find transcript links and show notes at reactpodcast.com slash 119. Thanks to our sponsors, AWS Amplify and Infinite Red. 
AWS Amplify is the fastest, easiest way to develop web and mobile apps at scale. Learn how to get your React app into the AWS cloud with hosting, authentication, storage, managed GraphQL or REST API, serverless functions, and more at awsamplify.info/react. Infinite Red is your friendly expert resource for React and React Native. They've worked with developers and entrepreneurs like you to design, build, and ship quality apps, and they've been doing it for over 10 years. Infinite Red will give you $750 when you start or refer a new project. Get expert React and React Native help at reactpodcast.infinite.red. If you like this show, there's a fast, free way to demonstrate your support. Leave us a review on iTunes. It's the best way for you to let me know what you think we're doing right and what we can improve. Two to three minutes of your time helps us make the best show we possibly can. As always, links and show notes for all episodes are available at reactpodcast.com. This episode was edited by Mikhail Delport. It was produced by Mikhail Delport and Sarah Jackson at Spec, a network to help you level up in design and development. Check out spec.fm for other shows that are sure to fast track your career. I'm your friend, Chantastic. Thanks for listening. We'll be in your ears again next week. Thank you.